this episode, dear listener, begins with a story about what it could mean to be a mother in the academy, about how we could treat each other, about how we could navigate our double vocations. Another aspect that comes to mind um, when you asked me about motherhood in the academy was an experience that I had last year which was quite formative for me. So late last year I'd been preparing for a meeting for many weeks. I'm also a research assistant um, for a qualitative research project with women who were seeking asylum in Australia and looking at their experiences of accessing higher education within all the you know all the different things that they might be juggling as a woman. This was our first meeting with the women that we would be researching with. Um, so it was an incredibly important starting point for us um, developing that research relationship. And I put a lot of effort into sort of how we was going to form and run this meeting. Five minutes before the women were due to arrive, I was with a colleague preparing, setting up the room, and I received a phone call from the girls' school informing me that Anne, my eldest, had been in with the psychologist and was in a state of quite high mental distress and needed to come home. So that was it. I had to go, obviously, not a question. I, um, I felt incredibly embarrassed and unprofessional when this happened it was the first time that my motherhood had been so obviously on display so clearly impacting my work and my capacity normally as a phd student i don't have a lot of face-to-face meetings so it's much more subtle the ways in which it impacts you know i don't get as much writing or reading done or a pushback a deadline but this was undeniably in you know in front of a whole lot of people and so the women arrived. I explained to them that I had to go uh, because my daughter was ill. I needed to, to come home. Um, and my amazing colleague, who is a mother of two, just turned to the group and said, this is why we need this research. Being a woman and being a mother is so unpredictable and so much of this stuff falls onto us. One of the women then responded and said, yes, I've been up all night with a sick baby. I almost didn't make it here today. And this understanding and this sharing was very comforting, but I was still, I was still left feeling quite ashamed and disappointed. Later that day when things had settled, my colleague phoned to tell me how the meeting went and she said, you know what? That was actually an incredibly beautiful icebreaker for us. It really minimized that researcher research dynamic. Instead, we were all just women in that room. We all recognized the struggle you were going through, having to be a mom as well as other things. She said that this seemed to lead to the women being more comfortable and that power dynamic wasn't present. We were all just in the same boat together. And that was incredibly encouraging for me. I realized that my motherhood did not need to be seen as restricting my work and my researching. It was actually an asset and created new opportunities in my work, something that connected me to other women in a deep way. And I hope that this little story is an encouragement to others to not be ashamed of how motherhood impacts their working life, but to look for how it might shape it into something new. Welcome to the Diamonds for Our Children podcast, a public humanities project and motherhood ministry. I'm your host, Katie Jo LaRiviere. Drawing on all aspects of what Pope St. John Paul II called the feminine genius, I gather together the narratives, expressions, and expertise of mothers as a collective epistolary given freely as a gift to all children who might need the loving and secure presence of motherhood. This podcast is for my little ones, of course, but it's also for you, dear one, whomever and wherever you may be. If you need the love of a mother, join me every Monday. Each episode is a facet of the diamond of motherhood and each contributes to a unified love that reflects light back onto the world. Let us fill our hearts up so that we can pour them out. Okay, so I am so excited for you to hear the rest of my conversation with this week's guest, Rebecca Soraya. But before we jump into that conversation, I have a couple of really big announcements. So first off, I want to give a sneak peek of season two. Yes, that's right. Season two. We are lucky enough that we get to jump into a season two. Can you believe it? I, I barely can. 
So we're on episode 18 right now. We've had 18 weeks of beautiful motherhood diamonds here on Diamonds for Our Children. And we're going to be finishing up season one on episode 20. That will be on the 24th of May. We're going to take a tiny summer break, but don't worry, there will be a little summer situation happening over on Instagram. So go ahead and follow me there so that you can keep up with what we're doing over the summer. It's going to be a little poetry reading, some things that we're going to do together, some learning we can do together over there. So I hope you'll join me. I'm so excited to announce what that actually is in the next couple of weeks. So stay tuned to hear more about that. And then in August, we're going to launch season two. I have a couple of sneak peeks for you today to let you know all about what's coming. But first, I really want to encourage you to consider becoming a Patreon sponsor for the show. My Patreon sponsors keep the mic on. They have made it possible for me to make a season two. And um, there's something really special coming up for Patreon members in the next couple weeks. So you can become a Patreon member for as little as $3 a month. And in doing so, you help me cover all of the costs that it takes to produce a podcast and also to do really fun resource giveaways. And finally, you make possible one of the major missions of the show, which is to make charitable contributions in the community Um to donate to some of the amazing organizations that we've had on the show, Abide Women, New Wave Feminists, these kind of organizations that are helping people on the ground. So I couldn't be more grateful to my Patreon sponsors, and I can't wait to have more of you join me in that community. Speaking of gratitude, we are coming up on our second quarterly resource giveaway. That's where I draw a name from my Patreon sponsors and send one of you one of the resources that we've been talking about all season on the show. So if you want to be eligible for that, come and join us on Patreon by May 17th at any level, and the drawing will be announced on our season finale show that's on May 24th. So come and join us on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now I'm just going to keep going with the gratitude because you can never have enough of it. I want to thank all of my listeners from every country. I can't believe it, but we have reached listeners not only in the United States, but also in Canada, Australia, Italy, Portugal, Germany, the UK, and Puerto Rico. I am so, so grateful to you. Thank you. Thank you to all of my listeners who each have become a facet of the diamond we are uncovering here on the podcast. I couldn't be more grateful to you for joining me every week, for participating in conversations, for just being a part of this community. It, it means the world to me. Now, would you do something for me? Would you leave a review of the show on the Apple Podcast app? I'm serious. I'm asking you this because... Taking the time to leave a review helps other people find the show, and it also helps me to know what's hitting with you, right? Like, what, what are the points you're connecting with, and where are we really, really becoming a community? I can only find that out if you, if you give me your feedback, so I would be so grateful to you if you leave me a review on the Apple Podcast app. It's free. It only takes a couple of minutes to just jot down what you, what you like about the show. Finally, I have a couple of sneak peeks for guests that will be on next season, and I cannot wait to share them with you. Okay, the first one is Cole Arthur Riley, who is the creator of Black Liturgies on Instagram. She's a writer and a speaker and a campus minister at Chesterton House at Cornell University. Seriously, cannot wait to have her on the show. And then we're also going to have Shannon K. Evans, a writer and speaker who will have a brand new book out in September. And so we're going to be talking to her about her book. It's called Rewilding Motherhood, Your Path to an Empowered Feminine Spirituality. Seriously can't wait. It's going to be an excellent season. Okay, so that's your sneak peek of season two, which will launch in the beginning of August. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram and stay tuned for what's happening this summer on the Diamonds for Our Children podcast. 
Now, as we transition into the lovely conversation that I had with Rebecca Soraya, I just want to give a couple of quick heads up. First of all, in the beginning of the interview, there's a tiny bit of noise from some chickens who happen to be in the background. And second, there is a weird software issue going on, which sort of compresses the audio file in a strange way. And this makes it sound like we are interrupting each other. I promise you that both of us were better behaved than this in the actual recording. And I'm working on finding some better software to record interviews from across the world. But for now, if you just have patience, there are so many beautiful moments in this conversation that you just can't miss it even with the little recording issue. This is indeed an amazing conversation that I hope reminds us that motherhood comes in many different forms and all of them express true love. Beck, it is so nice to have you on the show and I'm just very, very pleased and honored that you would be here with me. I wonder if we could start uh, with having you introduce yourself and kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and about your motherhood journey. (laughs) Thanks, Katie. I would love to. Um, So my name is Rebecca Field, but most people call me Beck. Um, And I'm speaking to you from Perth in Western Australia. Um, I love the technology that we can meet people um, with like-minded views and um, and speak despite you know worlds apart. So I'm 29 years old. I'm in my final year of PhD. Um, I'm yeah, I'm doing a PhD across social work and human rights just for some context. Um, I'm in my third year of marriage to a man that I've loved, a bit obsessed with since we were 13, and um, hmm. I've only recently become mother to um, to incredible young women girls um my youngest will be 13 in april and uh, my oldest will be 14 in june but the unique situation is i've only been a mother to them since june last year um so i'm in that transition (laughs) of uh, suddenly becoming a mother um to people who are a lot older than i guess the traditional way (laughs) yeah (laughs) so can can you tell us a little bit about that journey. Now, I know that, you know, if you follow Beck on Instagram, she has a, a set of stories that kind of take us through. Um, but I wonder if you could summarize for, for my listeners, just because I realize it's a very complex mm. journey, but um, perhaps the parts that seem very important to you. Yeah, yeah. So it is a very long and and bizarre story, um, but you can see like the hand of God in it the entire time, and how like it was always leading to this in some ways. Mm. So, um, so uh, I, I'm officially legally defined as a foster carer under the Department of Child Protection in Western Australia. Um, but I don't really resonate with the typical description or definition of foster carer. Um, because I've known the, uh, the girls for a very long time. But I guess the way I would describe it is that we've, we met through the foster care system. It's through them that we're able to, um, to house them and love them and become a family. But we are so much more than foster carers. Mm. So I fought, first met the girls almost seven years ago when my mother, um, a bit of a pre-empty nest experience, uh, wanted to open up her home to just weekend uh, stays to children in the foster care system and um, it just so happened that these were the girls that were were assigned to us. Um, I was living at home at the time and then through circumstances uh, they ended up spending two of those six years living full-time with myself and my mother and then moving to a more permanent placement um, but we have remained family members throughout that time and then um, just very recently so six months ago their biological mother passed away, which sort of triggered the um, the breakdown of that foster family that they were living in. Um, and mm. both girls eventually chose to to leave them and to move in with us of their own sort of decision. So they chose <laughs> to um, to leave that place, which was uh, wasn't the best environment for them to sort of heal and grow and develop to live with us, who are imperfect, you know, are very imperfect in our own ways. Um, but we had that strong connection, I suppose, and that they really came back to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I I would say, you know, all parents are imperfect. (laughs) Um, And I, so it strikes me that, you know, you're, you're kind of living the life of many different categories, Mm. you know? Yeah. And I, I, 
on this show and in this this sort of journey that I'm undertaking in doing it, I I've been talking with a lot of my guests about sort of creating a a third way, I mm. guess is what I'm calling it. But that's not to say there are only three ways. It's just to say that there are like t- 20 billion ways just to live a life, to design a life, to be a mother um, and to be in that motherhood role. And I wonder if maybe I could, actually, this is a two-part question. <laughs> um, I wonder if I could have you talk about what that word or what that concept of motherhood means to you and then sort of how you navigate all of these categories and create your own path. Mm. Yes, I I love that earlier on in the conversation you said the word journey because that is definitely how Mm. I describe the sort of journey of coming to this place where I am now mum to these two beautiful women and previously being in a um, completely different role like fun aunt um, co-parenting with my mother sort of yeah just and then transitioning into oh I'm your mum now um (laughs) it was um Mm -hmm. a bit of a a a bit of a battle I think um both like in internally and um and sort of like socially I suppose as Mm -hmm. I, I sort of see people wrestle with like okay what what are you then like what what are you? You don't you right. don't fit what we um, would understand as um, as a parent. Um, there's like the constant questioning when we introduce ourselves. That's like, oh, I'm I'm um, Anne and Rose's mom. Um, and just so you know, I'm going to be using pseudonyms to um, describe them or just refer to them as their age because um, it's their story to share when they're ready. And, and this is you know my my little part of it. So. When, when we introduce ourselves as their parents, um, there's always that, oh, you're so young or like that confusion um, that we have to navigate just going about our days. No, absolutely. Like I, I feel very, I, I feel this pressure in my own life a lot where people want to know like, okay, which yes. box can I put yes. you in? There is a, a, you know, an innate need for the brain to categorize and narrativize yes what it encounters. And so, but for me, I feel that's always a pressure. Mm, mm-hmm. I feel that's always um, somewhat frustrating. And so, so yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely res- resonates mm-hmm. because I hear you saying like that people want to figure out which box you fit in rather than just sort of meet you where you mm-hmm. are and engage with the situation as it is. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think more internally, I also had my own sort of reservations to to call myself parent or mom like their their mother had just passed away they had just gone from a, mm-hmm. a, a family situation in which they did have like someone who they referred to as mom so who am I to come in and say like okay I'm your new mom now <laughs> um and yeah. also the uniqueness of the situation means that I I have known the girls for a long time in a completely different role and they've known me in a completely different role and now I'm stepping into this space and so I've sort of been able to see the transition and it only actually happened, um, it sort of kicked into high gear when uh, the youngest, um, when Rose joined as well. So she took a little bit longer to come to the decision to leave as well. And that was, it was good that she took that time for herself. Sure. So when the, suddenly there was a family of four, that was when it really shifted. And I, be, I felt like I, I, I mean, I'm mum now. <laughs> like there's no denying it. Mm. Before when it was my husband and our eldest, it kind of felt a little bit like we were were housemates and you know she kind of adapted to us and not the other way around and this too <laughs> the dynamic really shifted yeah well and because together they too need to also sort of understand the relationship as a as a pair yes. as well yes um, and it was good yeah. because it, it we it, we went it became more playful as well um instead of um of sort of her stifling that sort of that usefulness and um trying to sort of not make a fuss which is very very you know, understanding that way, um, when there's the sisters there, you can't really <laughs> deny, deny yeah. that you do want to climb a tree. <laughs> right. so for me, I, um, I, I remember having this moment when we became a family of four and I sort of I was, finding, was finding myself getting a little bit of resentment towards my husband because I felt like I was doing so much more. Um, and there was, there was a constant, it's still today. We were in the car yesterday for like 20 minutes. And within that 20 minutes, you know, all four of us in this tiny little Suzuki Swift, we're all there together, but it's Beck, my finger hurts. Beck, she looked at me funny. Beck, what are we doing tomorrow? Beck, I'm hungry. My husband is sitting inches away from me. Right. 
there. Yes. Why am I some magical being <laughs> that holds all of the, the answers? So I was. Yes. I was. Yeah. It's it's that kind of thing, but you know, constantly, and it it stuck up on me, and I realized, oh, this is the first time in our marriage, in our relationship, really, that um the low doesn't feel shared equally. We'd always mm-hmm. divvy things up, you know, we had, had the situation where it was kind of like, whoever's hungriest is the first person that starts cooking, <laughs> you know? So we'd weigh each other out. I'd be doing yeah. my study, he'd be doing his study, and then finally he'd get up and start cooking. But now we can't do that. That's called neglect. <laughs> we have to get up and, and cook at the right. same time. Um, and so I was realizing that, um, yeah, there's a difference between mom being a, a mother and being a father. And you just can't cut it in half. Right. There is, there is really that, that thing called being a primary mm-hmm. parent. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it is strange how it's sort of, um, you know, regardless of your parenting situation, regardless of whether children are your biological children mm-hmm. or not, they know this intuitively. It is sort of a magical <laughs> thing. Um <laughs> the way I think about it, I guess. And so, yeah, it sounds to me that, that maybe that's another one of these, these categories Mm. or or another one of these ways of, of making a narrative of motherhood too. You know, I wonder if, if you could tell me a little more about like how, because earlier you were saying that um, you sort of had some notions about Mm. motherhood and then needed to, negotiate those or or adjust them in a way when this particular motherhood situation happened and so I wonder if you could tell me more about that sure yeah I think like I said before I was reluctant to sort of take on that role almost out of respect for what they'd been through Mm -hmm. but then like like we were just sort of describing that um everyone needs a mother in the day-to-day of their lives they need parents in the day-to-day of their lives um, especially at this age. And so it was really important that I, I started to claim that and say that, even though I, if I was worried about um, how other people would see me or how they might feel. Um, it's conversations that we had to have. And, and I, I remember sitting down at the, at the table like with my mother and my brother and his wife and my youngest and I were having a little bit of a back and forth about bedtime or something. And then I just went, I'm the parent. You listen to me. And my mom said, no, you're not. And I sort of, and so we've had to, mm. I've had a journey with her around the, the sense that she has felt sad about how my motherhood has come about because mm. she obviously had her picture of what um, that would look like. Yeah, but I think it is, it, it is all mm. interconnected, isn't it? It, it? Because at the same time that, that you are sort of working through this or on this journey yeah. yourself, you're also needing to explain and um, maybe even mm. justify to others and that feels a little unfair yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least at least yeah. from my perspective absolutely um, you know because if you if you become a mother to an infant there's not that same sense of like no I'm actually I am the parent here um it's a bit more more clear yes. and there's no and there's no questioning of that like oh clearly you know, one plus one equals two. Right. Um, but when you don't fit that right. box, suddenly there's a, yeah, you do need to justify and explain how is this possible? And I've gotten mm-hmm. like semi-derogatory comments like, oh, you started young, did you? Like, <laughs> you know, oh. like, and I sort of have to go, mm. <laughs> or, some, or someone will say, oh, yeah. you're so young. I'm like, oh, thank you. And I'll just move on. Like, I'm not going to explain my story to you, you know, shopkeeper. <laughs> exactly. I, I don't, I don't owe you an explanation. I know. Great face. Yeah. Skin was, regime is beautiful. You know, I'm, I'm always about the facial. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have an excellent skin routine. routine so. yeah. <laughs> um, I think that should be your default response. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. Um, but I think yeah, a lot of it comes down to sort of the, the youngness of that. Like, you know, at the moment, a lot of my friends are having babies or have, you know, children under five. Mm. Um, and then here we are with our two teens. Um, and so yeah. uh, a lot of the people that I want to spend time with, and I have this a, a whole group of women who are like in their 40s with their life seemingly all together, um, who have come and, and, and journey alongside me and we've caught up for coffees and, and actually, you know, shared some tips with me. <laughs> and it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's having that, that connection over um share the struggles has been really helpful and um and very affirming as well do you ever feel somewhat 
lonely that, you know, because a lot of times mothers sort of come up with each other as you're, you're saying your friends, you know, are having their own babies and it's kind of like, well, do you ever feel like you don't fit in? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. That must be hard. It is challenging. And, um, like someone recommended, oh, why don't you join a support group? And I, again, I just don't feel like I fit the categories of a foster parent, you know, like people who have come to a point in their lives where, you know, we're a little bit bored or, you know, we've got capacity or we've got financial situation, we've got the house, you know, or whatever, we're looking for something interesting to do. Like my mom, you know, like nothing else going on. So I've got spare mm-hmm. space. Um, and that's why they chose to foster. And they met this child for the first time when they when they moved in and right. and they're very much you know it's it's temporary so I w- wouldn't fit in the foster care support group and uh, someone's just what about you know my one of my daughters has some some mental health challenges and what about you know joining the, the group that they have the parents at the service that she goes to and again sort of being like uh having a background in social work having actually delivered parenting programs back in the day I don't really want to sit in a room with, with parents where I'm fairly aware that, that it would be introductory level like we're, we're trying to get you to sort of see your role in this <laughs> right uh, th- th- this is my assumption right of I haven't actually gone along but I'm you know that sort of situation where um, I'm very aware of, of mm-hmm. what's going on for my daughter and, and my role in it and how I can better support her yeah that does feel it seems to me um such a such a unique challenge also a witness to the many ways in which mothers deal with unique challenges where it's very difficult i think to find if you're if you're living any way in a third <laughs> way right that's not a very typical box it can be very difficult to find sort of some solidarity yes. um or or some understanding so we turn to instagram and when <laughs> we you... find people yeah from the other side absolutely of the world that, uh, somehow resonates so strongly with so thank you <laughs> yeah absolutely well and one of the things you know i mean speaking of sort of how we met on instagram and how what first struck me about your profile and, and thinking about you know oh this this is a very interesting person is that you are similarly you know going through something in terms of um, working on your PhD while mothering, which is something that I also did. I've finished recently, but you are very close to that. And so, you know, that was like an immediate connector for me because I just, I really have a heart for for moms who are doing their PhD. It's a whole different world, mm. I, I think. And so I wonder if you could t- talk a little bit about your experience just doing a PhD in general, but also then needing to sort of work in this whole motherhood thing <laughs> and how, how you feel about it. Sure. So again, I think it, it comes down to sort of um, yeah, doing things really differently. Like even the essence of doing a PhD in, in, from my experience, it's a pretty weird thing to do <laughs> yeah you know, it is like I, I was sort of I was starting out my social work career and I was like actually I'm just gonna stop this in its tracks and I'm gonna go back to study and you know take a massive pay cut and <laughs> and see and see what happens where right. everyone else is sort of going along and, and buying homes you know and then like the perfect world that I've imagined they have so there's already that weirdness <laughs> and I kind of had, went into it as a single woman you know with nothing else going on so I thought yeah why not just take four years out <laughs> and since then, yeah, I got engaged and got married, <laughs> and then the girls moved in. So, I thought found it amazing that I actually received some maternity leave last year, uh, which again, like in itself, is a yeah. Started out, you know, in January 2020, not planning on going on maternity leave, not having any reason to, and then um, uh, there's yeah, caveat <laughs> the in my scholarship where um, if you're adopting or um, you're giving birth, then you can you can have some yeah, some mat leave. So. I got six weeks off, which was great. The PhD is just not like any other job. It's 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 almost all-consuming in itself. And I really resonated with, I was listening to a conversation with Dr. Beth Anderson about um, dissertation sort of baby. I would definitely be doing a photo shoot of yeah. some sort with it. I, I, <laughs> that's so <laughs> wonderful. I, um, I think that it's been incredibly challenging. I had to almost sort of hit pause last year as everything sort of kicked off. Um, um, and there was mm-hmm. this insane, um, this, this real fear that I was, um, I was letting the team down in terms of like, you're supposed to be a social work feminist, progressive woman, and you're just disappearing into mm-hmm. the home. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really worried that, um, yeah, that people would forget about me. 
um, but being in the, like, the early stages of like, PhD is not just doing PhD. It's also sort of carving out a little like CV for yourself and making, and making connections and paying your dues and all that. So I, I felt like, oh, Absolutely. now I'm really, I'm not able to do that. I'm not as available um, because these girls need me. I'm like, I need to be at home. Um, and yeah, I just felt like I was, yeah, completely stuffing up my career, <laughs> um, <laughs> which was absolutely not the case. Like I got that mat leave, I got the recognition that I wanted. I, um, actually got some research assistant work with, um, three women across the country who, um, two of them had children and another woman was experiencing some health problems. And so we all gave each other so much grace as uh, we canceled meetings at the last minute, or we didn't get around to that thing we said we would do. And that was just such a wonderfully reassuring and, and validating experience for me that I'm not the only one who has a, you know, a bit of a wild personal life. Um, and I mean, you can be in academia uh, and have a life outside of academia. And it was, yeah, that was just, mm. I honestly thank God for that experience and that time. It's really, yeah. really, really important too. I mean, to speak it out loud and to say like, yes, we can do it all, you know, like it's not easy. It's never perfect, but it's also yes. that is life. And it is, it is not only um, good, but necessary, yes. I think, to acknowledge that that is a reality. Um, and the more that we say it out loud, um, the more real I think it becomes, uh, at least mm -hmm. for me, you know, the more, I, the more I connect with other women who are going through a motherhood slash PhD journey, um, and who, who are, you know, very serious too about their career and their motherhood in the practical day to day life, you know, being in, in the academy and doing your PhD and then also, you know, mothering. Talk to me a little more about the way you're living out this yeah, combined I think that, vocation. Um, once I recognized that the, the guilt that I was feeling, the multiple guilts, like whether I stay home or whether I, I, I go back to uni and, um, and take time there. I actually ended up giving myself permission this year to just give it a go. <laughs> um, and so I've actually ended up taking out a whole lot more work by giving myself permission to do that, to be more than a mom, to, to teach because I love teaching young social work students, like emerging social work practitioners. Um, I love talking about human rights. Um, I've been teaching into the human rights course. And so having something outside of the home uh, that I'm responsible for actually hasn't added to my my stress is actually I just feel happier <laughs> I, I just feel happier this really reminds me actually of my conversation with Dr. Anderson too which which mm. she was saying like I really need to be researching something like it's actually a part of myself it is a thing that brings me joy mm. I have to be doing that while I'm mothering you know it is that it is yes. that part yes. of being yourself, I'm busier, but I'm right? Happier. That makes you a and good I'm mother. A greater sense of like agency and accomplishment. Um, yeah. And my day isn't just how everyone else's day went or whether I got any PhD work done. You know, like I sit and stare at my computer while the girls are at school and, you know, I feel such, I'm able to go and have conversations about things I'm passionate about and be thinking critically similar, I guess, to researching as well. Yeah. And teaching, teaching, mm -hmm. which is that, that other work that's part of, part of the PhD and part of, uh, you know, working in the academy, mm. which is yeah. so it's, fulfilling. It's so it can be so life-giving. Yeah, so glad that I was able to take it and not feel, um, let, let that guilt keep me from pursuing the things that I'm, I'm so passionate about. Because I, I, if, I, if I could be a mom that just stays at home, I don't think any mom just has nothing else going on. Like I really think there's something that makes your heart sing and you're pursuing that, whether it's plants or cooking yeah. or like, cutting up cute little right. sandwiches for the lunchbox like you're doing something that makes you know you feel like you're um being creative or beyond just what everyone else wants and my experience of um of PhDing and surprising motherhood that kind of shook everything up has actually not been a disadvantage necessarily like it's given me time to, like I'm not I'm always it's always there in my mind like just because I'm not at my desk doesn't mean that I'm not it's not, it's not percolating or bubbling away on the stove, um, if we're going to use that yeah. metaphor of cooking. So having that time is a right. for me to, to come back to it with, with new perspectives as I've, you know, allowed myself to think through instead of rushing ahead and trying to meet deadlines that I was never going to meet anyway. 
<laughs> no, absolutely. And I feel I've felt the same way. Like whenever I have a chance to make give myself a break, when I can be fully present with my kids. And then when I get back to, you know, sitting down to have time yeah. to write or whatever, I find that my mind has been working through it this whole time. And so I'm able to like spit out a few pages or times it works well to sort of you have know. like an hour here or there and do a little bit of work. But the times when I try to do that and my girls are around, I'm sort of like, I, I mean, if I just stop right now and spend the next two, three hours hanging out with them, dinner, bed, and then come back to it, I'm not going to feel guilty for being ignoring them. I'm not going to feel guilty for, for not getting much work done because they're interrupting me. Actually just like, like stop trying to do it all. Like in, in that moment anyway, just right making space and giving myself permission just as you said it is a way of getting rid of <laughs> the emotional weight like the guilt <laughs> that um mm -hmm. that would otherwise bother me and interfere with the work when i get to it so i might as well just <laughs> spend the time yeah with the kids yeah, do the exactly. thing i'm very much of the mind that we we can be a yes. both and yes and i love that people. notion of combined vocation i think i'm going to use it yeah i love i love the idea too because it, you know at least as a woman of faith especially i do feel like it's all as you said mm. like god has a hand in it right and it's you know it's not just like i have my family and i have my job it's like i'm i'm doing these things together as sort of a a called thing a called experience I don't know if oh, you identify with that absolutely um I also wanted to pick up on what you said about we can do it all I absolutely agree with that mm. I think the definitely issue is um for one for me I can do it all but it's not going to look the way that I imagined it would look and that's okay you know I can do it all but it's not going to be perfect yeah it's not going to be on time <laughs> and yeah. um, that's okay as well <laughs> Well, and if the, if the systems are mm. more flexible, we mm. can absolutely do it all, right? I mean, it, it is a question of, you know, it, and it's also saying that, that flexibility doesn't mean mm. less rigor and it doesn't mean that you are, you know, slacking in one area or you're not dedicated. I mean, I think this really is, this combined vocation thing really is, a strong mm -hmm. feminist message, right? Because I think, you know, as you were saying that you felt like maybe you were letting the team down and I'm wondering like, what's our definition <laughs> of the team? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I think it, it's yeah. all internal. It's an internal struggle for me. I would feel guilty for mm -hmm. staying home because I'm not being a good enough feminist a social worker, academic, you know, or I'm letting the team down here if I do go to work and I'm not as available yeah. to pick up the groceries. I have to order the groceries online yeah. and get them sent to me instead of picking them up and getting the best broccoli, whatever. That, that feeling of guilt yeah, absolutely. no matter what. Uh, and so for me, it was about like um, ignoring that and giving myself permission to be more than just a, a mom or more than just a homemaker um, like obviously the domestic work is valuable and I, I, I'm, I'm glad that I do that. And I, something I was reflecting on was the fact that I, I don't want it to be different. I don't want Chris to stay at home. <laughs> That's my turf. Like, <laughs> um, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I really resonated with that too. You know, um, for the listeners sake, Beck, Beck sent me some notes and in, in your notes, you were saying that you, you were struggling a little because you were like, well, actually I didn't want to be the one who missed out. And I didn't want to be the one who like came home at the end of the day and didn't know, mm -hmm. like, didn't know everything, um, that had happened with the girls. And I can really resonate with that too. I, I do feel like at the same time, that I mm. feel like I need more support. I also feel like that doesn't mean I want to give things up or like no. stop being the primary parent. I just want there to be both of yes. us as primary parents. Yes, or at the very least I mean? just recognition, you know, recognition yeah. that there is a difference here <laughs> um, and an appreciation. Yeah. And perhaps that's just me and yeah. my immaturity wanting a little bit of like a thank you for just doing my job. And it was, it was, yeah, reflecting on that last night and sort of, uh, I've had conversations with my husband, Chris, before about 
you know, it's so hard being the one that, you know, has to do the school pickup and has to take the phone calls from school when the girls are sick or whatever's happening and kicking off. And he was like, but would you want me to be doing it? And I was like, no, don't you dare take over. Like, um, I just want to have a win right now. And I want you to be like, well done, Beck. And then <laughs> continue on with our evening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, buy me some extra there chocolate. There has been moments where we'll I'm like, it's, it's a good idea if you come home with some sort of gift. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. Um, which is great. Um, but I was, I, I sort of, yeah. I was sitting in that and I'm like, oh, I would hate, I would really not want to be the secondary parent. I wouldn't want to be the one, that, like, like you said, come home and sort of be like, what's happened, you know? And I, I got a little bit into like mm. a little bit of a spiral being like, oh, how hard would it be coming home and seeing, oh, Beck did this wrong, Beck did this wrong. If she hadn't done that, the house would be a more pleasant house. And I sort of saying this to him, like, do you, like, do you ever feel a sense of like, I would rather, you know, being the one in charge and sort of having to bear the brunt of the mistakes that I've made all day being the one at home with the girls. And he said, no, like it's tough, but like you're in the arena and it's so easy to stand outside and be critical of the person who's doing the work and, and, and fighting the fight. Um, and then he started to tell me about this like famous quote. Um, and I said, yeah, it's, it's, it's Teddy Roosevelt. Like he's like, no, 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 it's not. And then he Googled it. And of course it was, he was right. But I encourage yeah, listeners to Google it. Um, Brene Brown uses it a lot in her discussion about being about the gifts of the imperfection and, and being authentic and being vulnerable. Um, and yeah, it just really resonated with me. And so I appreciated that he <laughs> shared that last night better than any gift that's beautiful yeah absolutely just that mm. feeling seen is much better much better yeah. than any gift absolutely. yeah but it, you know it also strikes me too that your desire to be the primary parent and perhaps perhaps any mother who who desires to be a primary mm. parent and who really values that seems at least in in talking to you that you have a very clear sense of the necessity of Mm. of attachment for your girls and their um just their their very clear um need for that i wonder if you yeah, could talk about I would that be a little more very happy to um and i think that this is um this may be a bit be an issue sorry for um for parents who are you know biological families or more traditional families but it's a particular issue with children who've experienced trauma and um, particularly through the foster care system that they have like these attachment disruptions and and so a big reason one big reason why Chris can't be 50-50 parent with me is because he is a man um one and they have um, some experiences with men that you know absent fathers and and the like that makes it really hard for them to attach to Chris uh, and see him as a safe person all the time and then also um, they have lived with me and so they have a strong attachment to me, which again is the uniqueness of the fact that like we didn't, I, they did, I didn't birth them. They weren't, you know, because Chris would have been there otherwise. And we weren't, mm-hmm. you know, we had the same experiences together. So they are more attached to me, but they still have incredible needs when it comes to sort of reassuring that attachment. And I think just the idea that um, mm. being a primary parent for you is certainly a value, mm. but also yes. a, a need. Absolutely. For them. Um, yeah. It's something that, that they need in order to um, to heal and recover from the things that they've experienced. And, yeah, like the other yeah. day I, I was reaching out to their dad to organise a visit. So they have, their birth dad lives about an hour away in another city. And we haven't seen him since Christmas. And I sort of have been feeling quite guilty because I had been putting off texting and reaching out to make um, an appointment. Like there's no, there's no issue with seeing him. It's just a bit of an effort to go all the way, find time on the weekend and stuff. Um, he's, he's lovely. Sure. Um, but his response was, oh, like I, I've got some health problems. I've got some dental problems at the moment. I, um, I'll get back to you when, when I'm feeling better. And, um, that really hit me. <laughs> it wasn't just me. He was sort of being like, oh, well, when are we get around to it? It was similar on the other end as well. Like there's this, you know, it was about like, we don't have capacity for this right now. We don't have time for this. And I think in terms of, um, like parenting means that when you're sick, you're still a parent. You know, like I don't get a day off <laughs> when mm. I'm having, you know, a, have a cold or something. And so I, um, so I remember going to Chris mm-hmm. and being like, oh my gosh, like with their mom passing away last year, they don't have any parent who will be them for them no matter what. They don't have that in their life. He was like, that's where we come in, Beck. Like, <laughs> he was really unfazed. He was like, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Mm. We are their parents. And oh, wow. And so I, yeah. I feel an incredibly strong, um, the only way I can think of is burden and it's not in a negative sense it's just 
it comes in waves of like, oh my gosh, I am the most significant person they have on this earth. Oh my goodness, that is a massive responsibility. Mm. And yeah, that all comes down to like their need for a strong relationship with an adult who is safe and loving um, unconditionally, which I, I respond to your, your overarching question of what's the power of motherhood? Like it's that. <laughs> what's coming through to me is this very deep attachment mm. that you have to right like it really is a two-way thing um and you know like I was mm. watching your stories on Instagram about mm. about your this journey and you know you you went to a lot of effort to make sure that you would be the person Yes. You know, that, that if anything was going to happen with their placement or anything was going to happen with them, that, that yes. you would be yes. there. Yes, that's, that's true. Um, <laughs> which is why I probably kind of rebel from the label of a foster carer because it's so much more than, than that. Um, I, like I chose them yeah. and they chose me and Chris. So when I was yeah. in my early 20s, I, um, my mum sort of realised, was coming to the realisation that she couldn't care for the girls at this age that they are now in their teenagehood. And and so we started to look for like permanent carers. And at that time I was there really thinking like, could I do this? Could I be the, their mom? Um, and I was single. I was just starting out in my, my career. I just finished uni. I had like no money. <laughs> um, had, nothing much has really changed. I'm still at uni and I still mm-hmm. haven't got much money. Um, but but I, I, I just <laughs> felt like they, they deserved better, which um, – uh, who knows, you know, whether that was the right decision or not, considering where we are now. Um, I, I, I told the story. It was my mom's story, really. But she was very, she's a very prayerful, strong um, woman, strong faith. And um, she was praying and she, sometimes she gets visions. And she had a vision of the girls with this couple who don't have their own children. And so she believed that that was this couple that we had, that the department had found. They weren't able to have their own children. And now she says, it was you and Chris. And, and this was the journey we had to take. Mm. We had to, I had to have my time to sort of get a little bit further along in life, find a nice man, <laughs> um, at least get him to marry me, and then <laughs> and be a little bit more settled. <laughs> um, so when I made that decision to not say, yes, uh, I want the girls to live with me, um, no one was actually asking me. I was just sort of at the meetings going, it felt like I was cutting off a part of me and letting go it was it was yeah I've never experienced having my own child but it felt like giving up a child and entrusting them to these people it was horrible so that attachment yeah has been strong for a very long time and so as Mm -hmm. I watched like the relationship with the um the other foster parents not their attachment wasn't building there was a lot of red flags I was letting the department know as much as I'm we're here like let us know as soon you know when this it was almost like when this happens but if anything does happen you know so that was a bit of a long-winded story but Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. that's a bit of the context for the listeners (laughs) no that's yeah absolutely beautiful and and you know it strikes me too that thank god you had (laughs) a background in social work so you had some some knowledge of like how that system works and it's like you speak with such um, expertise about like kind of knowing when an attachment is not really forming well or like how to mm. look out for that. It seems, I just feel like there's all these threads weaving together that sort of Providence was just like, okay, <laughs> we're going to put this in place. Then we're going to put that yeah. in place and we're going to put the right. Like, I, yeah. I don't know yes, if that's absolutely. how you experience it. I'm very grateful it, but... for the way in which it's turned out. Um, you know, if, if I had sort of gone against what I felt at peace with and said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make it work, you know, two, two girls under 10, <laughs> fine rental or something, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now um, in terms of my PhD. I, I, would, I don't think I would have had the, the capacity to do it well. I'm not saying that I'm doing it perfectly. I would, I would never claim to do that, but mm. um, I do have more capacity to, to be who they need me to be. <laughs> Uh, you imagine if I, I tried to do that and I was still dating, like it would yeah, just be yeah. really hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Really hard for everyone. I'd like to know a little more about like how your faith plays into all of this motherhood journey, you know, both your experience in the Academy and your experience with 
bringing these two girls in and mm. um, just really, really embracing them and mm. just everything. Well, I, I think my response to that question would be to sort of just call it like social work is about social justice and that's and I think Jesus is about yeah. justice and <laughs> so it all to me it's the most natural thing in the world to be a social worker and follow Jesus it just makes sense amen <laughs> um <laughs> it just makes sense yeah but in terms of I think I need to sort of clarify some of the the challenges that come out of the attachment issues to really to really yeah. explain why I have to be on my knees every day <laughs> like give it over to the Lord so because of what the girls have been through uh, and they have this, uh, this anxious avoidant attachment type issue, um, which means that they're, like, like, they so desperately need intimacy and commitment and a strong trusting person, but they also so badly don't trust that and lash out and hurt the person that's, um, that's, that's trying to be that person in their life. Mm. And so that's me <laughs> and Chris. And so this means that um, I experience a lot of rejection. I experience a lot of like, like, like hard things being hurtful things being said to me and um and i i'm at, at high risk of experiencing what's called blocked care which means that um when parents or, or carers um experience a lot of stress in their relationships with their child they start to sort of um, struggle to have that capacity to sustain a loving empathetic feelings towards that child i still love my children but i i'm it's hard <laughs> um to to sustain that space because your my brain is going oh this of person is, is 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 hurting you maybe move away you know um maybe don't reach out don't be vulnerable anymore and if i if i allow that to take over then um i'm not giving my child what they need so i need to manage my re- own reactions to stress and hurt and rejection in order to show them what it's like to be someone who regulates their own emotions and to bring them into my regulation. It's very common for, for carers or, or parents of the situation to sort of mirror the behavior. And I see myself becoming more of a teenager <laughs> over the last six months, getting a little bit like, what? Oh, like eye rolls. I don't know. <laughs> so I've got to rein that in. <laughs> and, and self-care becomes really important. And so does my faith. Um, Chris and I are big, really strong on the term, like my life is not my own. Um, and so for a while there, I was sort of being a bit of a, a mm. martyr and just sort mm-hmm. of bearing the brunt of all of this and being like, well, my life's on my own. But I do not think that Jesus calls us to live a life where we're, we're, we're not recognizing our own pain and challenges and struggles um, and just sort of saying toughen up to myself. It actually means that I need to look after myself and acknowledge those things are quite hard. Yeah, yeah. And reach yes. out for support and, and to accept yes. it and seek it. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems to me too, to, um, sort of in, in the past on the podcast, I've talked with people about sort of orienting toward the other, right. And accepting Mm. the other person, um, always as their own self, Mm -hmm. right. And as their own deeply human person. And it, it seems to me that, that what you are sort of required to do here for the good of the other Mm. is to put that in overdrive. I mean, to kind of be just radically for the other. And that, that is so powerful. The model and the intentionality with which you seem to do it is, and and not that it's always perfect, Mm -hmm. obviously, but that it's attempted, right? Like that's, um, that is just such a beautiful model Mm. that creates justice that shows what justice looks like. I mean, talk about Christ-like disposition. It's very, it's (laughs) really That is a very generous word. Yeah. (laughs) That's really kind. Chris and I, I want to add to that. Chris and I, I sort of, I I describe it to people as when we got the phone call that I'm saying, call me, you know, if anything happens. And we got that phone call. um, We took about five days Mm -hmm. to sort of, pray and and speak to our parents and speak to some people at our, at our church group and I, I say it wasn't a hard decision but it was a big decision and so we need to sit with it but the thing that I kept saying to myself was like yeah how can I say I love them and not do this and so this entire experience has just been like it's all about expressing love and an unconditional love for somebody else yeah yeah but that is really what love is at its core.
I did feel a little bit struck and unsure about the concept of tender mercy and motherhood. I even Googled tender mercy and motherhood to see if something came up to sort of. Hmm. <laughs> well, I had never Googled it and I, I just kind of, um, this is not based on research at all. It's hmm. just a, it's just a way that I conceive of motherhood myself is that motherhood is a great and tender mercy, or it is a yes. way of living out a tenderness and a mercy or a tender mercy, some combination of those words and ideas. I mean, and, and I think that you, in the things that you talked about in our conversation today, you, you do live that out. I mean, it's very clear, the self-giving, right? Which ah, is, which is a tender mercy. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. And, um, and a way of love. I, yeah, I think maybe yeah. it, it resonates with what you were saying about um, accepting the other. And, and I'm, I'm being really aware that they are on their journey of, of grief and hormones yeah. and teenage, you know, and, and just everything adjusting. Um, yeah, actually I, I lie. I, I was thinking about it and then I stumbled upon, I followed this again on Instagram, this wonderful um, foster mother. It's called foster the, the family blog. And she is also a, a believer and, 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 and parents out of that space as well. And she said something she talked about, yeah, that before being grace givers, we are grace getters. Before being mercy dealers, we are mercy receivers. And we are first ourselves inherently needy and desperately in need. And so we have mm-hmm. more in common with the saved than the savior. So really talking about getting out of that, that savior complex and just being like, because the Lord has been merciful to us, we are then able to, from that space, be um, mercy dealers to others and give them grace. Okay. Well, I just have one. I have one more question for you. I, I don't want to take up your entire morning. And I'm so, so grateful for this beautiful conversation. I wonder what you would say are oh, your goals surprise for your question. family. I like it. I like it. I didn't write notes on this one. Surprise. Um, <laughs> my goal for my family is, is, is healing, really. Um, it's building relationships mm. and, and bonds and um and relearning relearning how to do life and so when i when you like there's a question that you i think you asked in the notes where about like how would you describe motherhood and i think it's uh, it's being a, a part of healing and a part of teaching i also That's wanted to gorgeous. Say, yeah i that's wonderful i um i lean so much on on the description i probably posted it on instagram about it's from psalms 145 and it says he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds and he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty power. He's understanding this has no limit. And that scripture is, is something I lean on so much because I am not going to get this right even 50% of the time. <laughs> um, and I'm not, I'm not responsible for the healing. I'm not responsible for the recovery. I'm, 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 I'm part of that journey. Um, I think fundamentally my goal of my family would be for, for us all to lean on on him who is greater yeah amen yeah amen that's beautiful oh beck thank you so much what a what a an absolute joy to get to have this conversation with you and i just wish you every good thing and i i know that um with with the intention and the beautiful attention that that you model um i have no doubt that you will you will bring them forward into a space of healing. It's just, and, and your whole family, thank, you know, everyone. Thank you so much. This so, has been really thank you um, so much. a beautiful way to start the week. So thank you for this opportunity to share. You're most welcome. Thank you so much for spending time with me this week. You are a beloved child. And today for just a few moments, you chose to be with me. I'm so honored by that. I hope you can feel how much you are loved. If you know someone who could benefit by spending time with us, will you invite them to the Diamonds for Our Children community? Help them find our website at diamondsforourchildren.com. Send them a link to the show on Spotify, Apple, or any podcast platform. Or search for Diamonds for Our Children on Patreon. 
Patreon members are eligible for lots of good things, especially the opportunity to help me turn this mama love into tangible giving in our communities. You can also share what the show means to you by reviewing the podcast on the free Apple podcast app. Rating and reviewing helps others to find our community and our love. And who knows, your review might just be featured on the doc website. You can also get in touch with me via email at diamondsforourchildren at gmail.com to ask questions or share your thoughts with me. I can't wait to be with you again next week. Together, we create facets of a unified love that reflect light back onto the world.